and welcome to The Quiet Out Loud. Uh, Today's episode is the third and hopefully final part of a series about abortion that I have been doing. And just like I said in the first, um, you know, part of this series, wow, this is, it, it is a very broad, large topic. Uh, It has a lot of complexities. It has a lot of history. It also is very important to our current culture um, and current, you know, state of politics. It's obviously a topic that is at the top of a lot of people's minds, um, along with, again, having a lot of history behind it too. And I want to make this clear. If you have listened to part one and part two of this series, you probably understand this, but I just want to make sure. Um, for the, I've been talking about what most abortions are. Well over 90% of abortions are purely elective. They're not for medical reasons. They're not even for rape. Well over 90% of abortion procedures are simply for convenience. And we're going to take a look at that today. And we'll talk about the rare circumstances too. But if you listen to part one and part two of the series, it's it's really the elect- elective abortion procedure that I've really been addressing. And I think that is important context to have. Okay. But before we get started today, I do want to mention my sponsor for today, which is always me right now. Anyways, <laughs> I have been an affiliate with money for over five years and my entire family uses their naturally derived hair care, skin care, and wellness products. My personal hair transformation has been amazing over the last five years. And I am now absolutely obsessed with their anti-aging skincare line as well. If you want to check out their products, you can join as my personal VIP customer and get 15% off every day, plus other discount opportunities, rewards programs, free products, and all kinds of other great benefits. To get started, you can just take the quiz in my show notes, and I will personally reach out to you via text message to answer any questions that you might have. All right. Thank you guys so much for being here today. So far, we have talked about the spirituality and the roots of the abortion industry in episode one or part one, I guess, of this series. And then in part two of this series, we talked about religion, science, politics, and the question is abortion murder. And if it is, what does that mean for women? And I just want to touch on this um, abortion is murder conversation briefly one last time, because there is this fear mongering from the left about making abortion illegal and that the police are going to come knock on your door and arrest you. And I want to play a political ad um, that I saw the other day after I had recorded um, part two. So I just want to show you guys this ad that is running for um, from a politician in California. You're weird. He is weird. But cute. Mary Anderson? Yes? I have a warrant for your arrest. Arrest for what? Penal Code 243 violation. Unlawful termination of a pregnancy. You gotta be kidding me. That That is my personal business. That's for the courts to decide, ma'am. Your medical records have been subpoenaed and Dr. Landry's already in custody. No, my, my God, you, you, you can't just- You will have to submit to a physical examination. What? By who? No, no, no one's touching me. Oh, sir, get to that. turn around. Put your hands behind your back. Now. Why is this happening? 
Love you. Now, like I said, this ad is from a, a politician in California. And did you know in the state of California, a 14-year-old can't use a tanning bed? And if you are 15 to 17 years old in California, you can use a tanning bed, but you have to have parental consent. But to get an abortion in California, the minor is supposed to get parental consent, but really it's unenforceable because it's they consider it a violation of privacy. So it, it doesn't take very much research at all to come across websites for clinics in California that advertise no parental consent required. So in California, a teenager can't use a tanning bed, but they can get an abortion. Also in California, a minor can't get a piercing or a tattoo without parental consent, but they can start transitioning their gender without parental consent. And if the parent doesn't allow or tries to stop the gender transition, California wants to strip parents of their parental rights. So I don't know. I feel like this ad would be more realistic if it showed that raid on someone's home, especially this, this nuclear family that they're showing here, this idyllic nuclear family that they decided to to, to use it in their abortion ad, um, which I think is so ironic that that's, that's the scenario that they're using in this ad when that is not the typical scenario for an abortion. But, but why not show the child being ripped away from their parents because they won't submit their minor to gender affirming quote unquote care that has lifelong consequences. I just, I just don't understand. Like I, understand like how we got here like that that um you know parental consent is required for you know using a tanning bed or getting a piercing or a tattoo but not for abortion or uh you know gender affirming care like I just listen I'm not an legal expert but like regardless of the actual law I'm just so confused by our slant of right versus wrong. Um, I, I do not, and uh, just to bring it back to abortion, like I do not understand the cognitive dissonance people have around whether it's a baby or not. The mother's desire to have the baby does not magically turn it into a baby, you know, and in that commercial, we see, you know, the mom being ripped away and her, her, you know, her children are very upset. Like, like what, what happened, mommy? Well, the, the answer is, is that, that mommy deprived you of having a brother or a sister because she decided, you know, that she didn't want that one. Fortunately for you, little Jenny and Johnny, like mommy wanted you, you should feel fortunate. Mommy decided you were worth having, but not your siblings. Like, I will never forget having ultrasounds when I was pregnant with my girls, like especially the ones where they tell you the sex, because obviously we didn't, we didn't need confirmation that we were having a baby. Like we already knew that part. Um, and we didn't need confirmation of our feelings for her. We already loved her, respect her, respected her, them, both of them, and recognized them as their own selves. There is no denying when you have an ultrasound that the baby in the womb is fully human. It's all there, a brain, a heart, fingers, toes, eyes, nose, mouth, and they're all their own. It wasn't me. They, they weren't me. It's not an extension of me. They're their own person. She may have been inside of me and dependent upon me, but she is not me. If, if my baby in the womb experiences pain, I don't feel it because she isn't me. I can't control her. She kicks, she moves, she thinks, she acts all on her own because she is not me. It's wild to me that during an abortion, it's a meaningless clump of cells, but during a pregnancy announcement, it's a precious bundle of joy. Being wanted by your mother does not generate your humanity.
I just back to the ad for a second, like maybe I've missed it, but I really haven't heard one, what I would call rational pro-life person suggesting that we round up and arrest everyone who has had an abortion. I'm not going to deny there's potentially some, what I would call extremist saying like, oh yes, this is the America that, that they want and the America that they're hoping for. I mean, maybe my finger like isn't on the pulse here, but I don't really think that's what most pro-life people are wanting. Um, as we talked about in part two, abortion is currently a largely socially acceptable action, even if it's morally wrong, even if it is murder, our society hasn't treated as treated it as such. You cannot hold people accountable or arrest them when that hasn't been the law of the land, morally or otherwise. Like, let's think about some similar historical examples. The biggest one would be slavery. And I know like people don't like to, you know, compare abortion and slavery, but they're really so very similar because we're talking about the sanctity of, of human life. And, you know, when slavery became illegal, slave owners weren't rounded up and arrested. And what about like child labor laws? When laws or moral thinking of a society changes, the trickle down effect takes time. And I know that the left understands this because they will argue for reparations and they claim things like systemic racism. So I know they understand that the changes in mindsets and systems take time. But when it comes to abortion, they seem to conveniently forget that and instead fearmonger that pro-lifers are encouraging the arrest and jailing of women, which I think is, is total nonsense. It's total nonsense it, for current day. The, the pro-choice movement, I mean, likes to argue that the hospital room is too small for the woman, the doctor, and the government. Like, have you heard them say that? Like, the hospital room is, is too small. Politicians argue this all the time. Um, meaning that the government shouldn't be involved in medical decisions. But in the next breath, they will argue for universal health care and for the government to fund those same medical decisions that they don't want the government involved in. So do you want the government involved or do you not? Because if you want them to pay, guess what? They are also in control of the decisions that you're making. Do you want a private decision or a public one? Because the minute it's a government check, it's a government decision. Like, can we just put some puzzle pieces together really quickly? Um, we currently have a, a group of people, a very large, influential group of people who think we need to solve climate change through population control to some extent. And this is not conspiracy theory, guys. Like, just go do some research. Listen to the my very first episode of this podcast. Um, the, go listen to the other parts of the abortion series. And many of those same people are for abortion through all nine months, and some even after birth. Like, I have legit seen some very disturbing videos where people are arguing for, you know, a, abortion some number of years after birth, which guys, okay, like that's, I mean, uh, like that, it, we can argue, I guess, over whether or not abortion is murder or not, but do, do we have to now argue about like, is it a murder to, to, to take out your two-year-old? Like, and again, like that is, I do, I believe that that is extremist thinking, just like that video um, that we saw of the police breaking into the woman's home, home is, you know, kind of extremist thinking. So, um, but if those people that control your healthcare 
Like if the government controls your health care, what's to stop them from forcing abortions in the name of climate change? Or like, let's flip the coin over. Like what's to stop them from saying, well, you need to have a baby. Like actually, because, you know, the population is down and we need a certain number of, you know, workers for X, Y, Z. And it could very easily work both ways. And these are the same people who argue it's conservatives trying to usher in the handmaid's tale. Like, no, you guys like leftist socialist policies are much more likely to usher in that type of control over women's bodies. If you listen to what Stacey Abrams recently said, she pretty much says this. She said that having children causes inflation or at least causes people to feel the impacts of inflation more and become more worried about the economy. Therefore, we need abortion. That's the argument from the left. Are you worried about the economy? Well, let's fix that through abortion. Imagine if this woman was making your healthcare decisions. Like, is that really what you want? Now, feminists like to point towards other countries when they argue against capitalism and for universal health care. And the reality is, is that the countries that they like to idolize are still capitalist countries. They just have larger social programs. And um, those countries are have demographics that are wildly different than the U.S. Um, but and but what, what I think is really interesting is that those countries generally actually have much stricter abortion laws than what the left is fighting for here in the United States. So they like to hold these countries up as kind of the the, you know, the standard for universal health care. And then they want to also um, create here in the United States, though, um, you know, health care, we can just do whatever you want without the government having any say in it. Like, let's look at some of the other countries that that have universal health care. It's like Belgium. Um, uh, abortion is only legal in the first 12 weeks, and it requires counseling six, six days prior to the appointment. Uh, Germany, abortion is just illegal, but not punishable during the first um, 12 weeks. And again, like counseling is required. Um, Argentina, um, legal for the first 14 weeks. Uh, Denmark, allowing the procedure to be done electively if the pregnancy has not exceeded 12 weeks. Again, um, and then if it's if the patient is under 18, they have to have uh, parental consent. Um, in Sweden, which everyone always loves to use, it's 18 weeks from 18 to 22 weeks. Get this from 18 to 22 weeks, you must get government approval. Most of these countries, I believe, also have lower abortion rates than the U.S. But here the left, like I said, the left wants to have their cake and eat it, too. They want government paid health care and they want the freedom to abort at any point. And I'm just telling you, if you want the government all up in your business, keep pushing for universal health care. Keep keeping the government. I just I don't understand why we don't agree on this necessarily, like because keeping the government out of health care is something that pro-life and pro-choice. I, I feel like we should be in agreement on like pro-choice says that they don't want the government making health care decisions. But then they they are hypocritical when they say they want the government to pay for those health care services. And I feel like that, again, I feel like this should be some common ground. Um, you know, wanting laws that protect and value the life of the unborn is not the same as the government being in control of your health care. Laws are always going to limit your personal freedoms in, in some way in order to protect others. You can't drink and drive. 
you can't kill your baby. I'm sorry, but that's the rules. That's not the government controlling your body. That's the government doing their job, which is to protect people. Again, I feel like not wanting the government to be involved in healthcare decisions is really something that we should have, find some common ground on between, you know, pro-life and pro-choice, um, which brings me to another area that I think is, you know, maybe some common ground between pro-life and pro-choice, I think anyways, because I am pro-life, but I do listen to pro-choice women. I hear them. I see their comments on my, you know, on my social media posts. And, and I do hear them say with, with very, you know, with very passionate pleas that they want what's best for women. I do think there are a lot of people fighting for what they truly believe in their hearts is best. Um, yes, I also think there's a lot of evil intentions out there, which again, we've talked about in past episodes, but I, I think there are women out there who really truly want in their heart of hearts, like what they think is best for women. Um, but also when I talk to pro-life women who used to be pro-choice, a common theme that I hear is that they feel, they feel duped. They feel like they got played. They really believed that they were fighting for what they thought was, was in their own best interest and for the best interests of other women. But then their eyes were opened by something, you know, some, something triggered, you know, a change in their beliefs. And they feel like their pro-choice stance was actually misled or misinformed. They felt like they have been lied to. And again, this is a theme that I've talked about through almost every single um, podcast episode so far. And so because of that, while yes, I think there are some, probably some truly murderous women out there. I also think that we have a lot of women who have simply been led astray and that their hearts are in the right place. But you know what they say, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. I think that the common ground here is, is that both sides want what's best for women and society. Yes. I mean, is that something that we can agree on? We might disagree with what that looks like and how we get there. Um, but believe it or not, I think there are many pro-choice women who would agree that abortion isn't the optimal solution. Like I have heard pro-choice people agree with this. So let's talk about that. Is abortion what's best for women? How do we answer that? Well, I think we answer that by asking what problems does abortion solve for women? Like personally, I just, I can't accept that this is our best solution as it, in the year 2022, as women, as men, as society, as humans, not even from a religious standpoint. I'm, I'm not, again, I, I talked about this before. So I always, I know I keep saying this and repeating myself, but go back and listen to the prior episodes. Like I'm not here to judge. I don't think less of anyone. I'm not condemning anyone, you know, for their decisions or for their choices, but I just cannot wrap my brain around the act of abortion as a legitimate practice in our current society. And what I, I don't care about someone's past, but I care about how we solve problems. I care about how we view human life and I care about where we draw the moral lines. And I think we can do better. And honestly, I think, I think some pro-choice people would agree with me on this. I really do. I don't think they like or love abortion, but they feel like it's a necessary evil to help women. So let's talk about that. Does abortion help women. And we've talked about some of the, the statistics and, um, I think it was the first episode. Um, 
you know, I just want to derail for just, just, just one second. Like, I don't really care if abortion did solve problems. It would still be wrong because it's wrong to take the life of another human being. Abortion does not solve the problem of selfishness. Um, it does not provide liberation and it does not encourage healthy relationships. So what problems does abortion really solve? Um, you know, and does it solve the real underlying root issues that generate the need for an abortion in the first place? So let's look at in order to, I think in order to start answering that, we have to look at the top reasons, right? For why women get abortions. So these are the top reasons. Um, for getting an abortion. Unready for responsibility. Too immature or young to have a child. Women's par- or the person, you know, the woman's parents uh, want her to have an abortion. Has problems with the re- with her relationship and wants to avoid single parenthood or a, a husband or partner wants her to have an abortion. And we we've talked about this again in the prior episodes. The, these top reasons I've already listed two two areas where women are feeling pressured and feeling forced into having an abortion. The first one I just listed, I just want to just pause for a second and call this out because people tell me that this doesn't happen, that no, 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 no one's forcing women to have abortions. Yes, they are. The first example that I gave you was parents. And the second example that I just gave you was a husband or a partner. And in both cases, in my opinion, that is, that is wrong for those people in those, that person's life to be pressuring them to get an abortion. Now I I will go back and I will say like, also, generally speaking, I have personally spoken with several women who feel like society also places that pressure on them, even if they didn't have an individual in their life telling them that they wanted to have an abortion, needed to have an abortion. They feel like that's the message from society that they're too young or they should avoid single parenthood. Okay. So here are some other reasons. Um, has all of the children she wanted or all children are already grown. Can't afford a baby right now. Concerned about how having a baby would change her life. Doesn't want others to know that she had sex or is pregnant. Okay. And we're going to get into health risks. So relax if you're chomping at the bit to talk about that. But again, like I started out with this episode saying to be clear, like it's 95, 98% of abortions are elective and based on the reasons that I just listed. But the arguments from the pro-choice crowd seem to only revolve around the two to 5% reasons. We will never be able to have an honest abortion conversation without being honest about the main reasons why they are had in the first place. Generally, these reasons all have the same root issue, selfishness. The women here are not necessarily victims of other of anything other than themselves. They're sell- telling themselves, I'm ready, or I want, or I feel pressured to experience the pleasure of sex, but I don't want to deal with the consequences of a pregnancy. We are a self-seeking, pleasure-driven, instant gratification society. We will pay any price to feel even a few moments of pleasure or happiness. We will justify any action in order to feel like we are liberated and in control. The problem is, is that we are grasping at mere moments of pleasure rather than pursuing long lasting, meaningful joy and relationships. We are not in control. We are out of control because we don't have any self-control. 
We are making poor choices based on the notion that we can quickly fix any bad consequences. We're not liberated. We're enslaved to our sexual desires. We're enslaved to our esteem. We're enslaved to our image. We're enslaved to our life plans. We're enslaved to the opinions of others. We're enslaved to a bad relationship. Most abortions are simply sacrificing children at the altar of convenience. Many argue the opposite. Oh no, abortion is selfless because you're saving the child from a potential suffering in life, or you're saving it from a mother who didn't want it. You know, you're saving it from being poor or being in foster care. How is not giving someone else a chance to live selfless? I mean, a chance at life is always better than certain death, right? I mean, otherwise, like, why do we fight so hard as a society to live? Why do we fight so hard to preserve youth? Giving up your own needs, your own wants, your own desires, laying down your own life for someone else, that is selfless. I know you're like, oh, I thought you weren't going to like judge. And I thought you weren't going to, you know, condemn people. I'm, I'm not. And, you know, and you're like, well, well, you're calling people selfish. Like, I mean, there's no judgment here because I am admittedly very selfish. Like, this is just, selfishness is a struggle that we all have. And if we're honest, we, we all have selfish tendencies. I just, I, I want to take a minute and just like read the definition of selfish concerned excessively or exclusively with one's self seeking or concentrating on one's own advantage, pleasure, or well-being without regard for others arising from concern with one's own welfare or advantage in disregard of others. Can you hear that definition that I just read and see the similarities between it and the top abortion reasons that I listed earlier? They sound very, very similar to me. Okay, let's talk about the minority, the the small minority of abortion cases, like the two to 5%, which really fall into two main categories, rape and to save the mother's life. So my question is, is does abortion solve those problems? Does abortion solve the problem of rape? Does the abortion solve the problem of the mother's life in danger? Okay. So in cases of rape and incest, the real problem is sexual abuse, mental health problems. Abortion doesn't help us create a society where these acts don't happen. In some instances, abortion has been used to actually cover up these acts so the person doesn't get caught. So abortion can actually perpetuate these problems in our society. In other situations, the abortion clinics elect not to report suspected sexual abuse. Why? Why would they do that if they're for women? Well, because abortions are their business. They're their profit. To me, it seems that abortion lends itself to perpetuating sec- the sec- a sexual abuse problem and even is used to control women. That doesn't sound like liberation or freedom to me. Like, What if feminists spent as much time trying to end sexual abuse and trafficking as they did trying to defend abortion as the solution to those problems? What about the mother's life? The mother's life is in danger. 
Okay. Well, does abortion advance medical science to a place where all women can have healthy full-term pregnancies? Cause that's really the problem, right? Like, have you ever read one of those stories where the mother chooses to deny her, her own health for the sake of the baby, like, you know, stopping certain medications or certain therapies, like those stories are always selfless and, and inspiring for a reason. The mother made a choice. Many of us would not be able to that said for a woman or family who has exhausted all options and has to choose between two lives. To me, that doesn't fall into the abortion category. And it certainly isn't elective or, or out of convenience. The reality is, is that in those situations, they're not driving over to the local planned parenthood. You're talking about wrestling with life in a hospital. Most of the time, however, there is no medical reason to kill and dismember the baby to save the mom's life. The baby has to be born regardless. There's really no reason to murder it first and attempts can be made to save them both. Okay. What about ectopic pregnancies? Like that's another big argument, which really isn't an argument in my mind. One, the medical procedure isn't the same as an abortion, nor is the intention behind it. And abortion intentionally ends a viable non-threatening pregnancy. The intent is always to destroy the baby An ectopic pregnancy or an ectopic treatment unintentionally ends a non-viable life-threatening pregnancy. And the intent is always to save the mother. Can we agree here? There, there are different medical procedures with different intentions. Does removing an ectopic pregnancy end a life? Possibly. Yes. I mean, sometimes the embryo has already perished, like, but sometimes not. So yes, it might end one life to save another. However, abortion ends a life and typically saves no one. Is removing an eptopic pregnancy immoral? Again, possibly, but from a Christian perspective, we, we, we do have examples in the Bible of immoral actions, tactics, or decisions being made in order to save the lives of others. And we have the grace of Jesus to cover us. I mean, we live in an imperfect world and we have to make imperfect judgment calls with godly intentions. Personally, I think calling an eptopic pregnancy uh, an abortion is dishonest, disingenuous, and manipulative. It's emotionally damaging to mothers who've had them. Those pregnancies were generally wanted and mourned. An abortion you know, the baby in an abortion is not wanted or expected to be mourned. That's not to say that an, a woman will never mourn her, her abortion at some point, but generally speaking, like I said, the idea is not sold to us as one of mourning a lost life, but rather the celebration of bodily autonomy. I, again, I just don't, I don't see where abortion really solves real root problems. And I think if we think abortion is the right answer, then we're probably not addressing the right problem. I said before, the idea that what's in the uterus somehow isn't human or worth protecting, I, I, I truly have trouble comprehending this perspective at all. When every human life on this planet 
came to be in the same way. How can a human being who was once in a womb and born themselves believe that the contents of their own womb or someone else's womb, it's just a, a mass of cells. It's nothing but lifeless tissue, a parasite that can be gently emptied from the uterus at will, quoting some of the Planned Parenthood abortion procedures there. When exactly do we become human and worth protecting? When are we more than just a mass of cells or a clump of tissue? Because honestly, last time I checked, like I'm nothing but a mass of cells and clump of tissue right now. Okay, guys, that is that is it for me right now on the abortion topic. So this has been a really interesting three-part series for me to write and to record. And I have really enjoyed, um, honestly, seeing everyone's feedback on social media and comments. And uh, like I said, obviously, this is a very hot topic in our current culture and also full of some pretty rich history. So, um, thank you guys for listening and, you know, kind of taking this journey through this topic with me really appreciate it. Thanks.